Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Today I speak with Mark Peterson who is the General Manager of Fleet and Maintenance at Wet North Transport. And I did find this uh, interview particularly interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, Mark and I explore a little bit further the idea of understanding the commercials when you're in a leadership position. And secondly, I'd like you to listen out for the four key questions that you should have the answers to whenever you're going to implement a change program. Because I think those four questions which Mark walks you through are really, really valuable in making sure that your change program is set up to win right from the start. So happy listening. And once again, we'd love for you to head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. So see you on the other side. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Okay, well, welcome, Mark, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out and be a part of it. So the listeners have some context. Do you be able to share a little bit about you, your position, and where you're working at the moment? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Julian. Yeah, look, uh, I work for a company called Wet and Halls Transport. I'm the general manager of uh, fleet and maintenance. So sort of my role there is to make sure that the fleet is maintained and kept in good condition and reliable. We've got around 300 employees at this stage and and growing, uh, which is which is a good thing. We um, don't do a lot of general freight. We're actually more of an, a niche freight market so we've got longer term contracts and that's across all boards we've got uh, frozen goods we've got refrigerated goods dairy uh, we also do um, green waste a bit of uh, recycling we do a lot of bread movements as well so that's it's varied but they're all sort of longer term contracts which is nice you don't have the hassle of uh, the general freight i've got in, in workshops i've got around about uh, 12 people all up who are reporting to me looking to grow that at, uh, at the moment um just like everywhere in the transport industry, trying to find good people is uh, is a bit of a struggle. And look, yeah, I've been in the role since July last year, so coming up to 12 months. Um, and boy, the time has gone quick. <laughs> so uh, is there an interesting fact that you might be able to share uh, with the listeners about uh, Wet Knolls? Look, I think it's one of those companies, it's, it's been around for a long time. It originally started off as a Medstros and Sons um, back in the early, about 1907 or somewhere around about that period. So it's been around for, for quite a long time. It has changed its name, but uh, the family is still involved with the, the business. So it is a, a very long-term stable company. So I'd like to take you back, all the way back to your very first leadership role. What was that role? And give a little bit of context about uh, Okay, so... When I was working with, with Qantas, I found myself in a continuous improvement area and, and that led to, a, I suppose, a short-term opportunity as a um, workshop supervisor where I looked after one of the shifts for the, the back shop. So this is where all the components were repaired for all the aircraft. So that's sort of uh, where it all began. Okay. And how many people reported to you in that role? Oh, it was about 60 people on the shift. Okay. That was a little bit of a baptism of fire. But uh, look, it was a lot of fun. I learnt an awful lot. I learnt what to do, and more importantly, I learnt what not to do. Well, which leads very nicely into this. Uh, the next question is, what were some of the mistakes that you, you think you made in your first leadership role there? Uh, look, a couple of things. I suppose the, 
I actually had a bit of a, a thought about this the other day. I suppose it's a common mistake that a lot of new leaders bring is you're trying to be an expert, you try to know everything and try to have all the answers, and you can't. I actually had one of my leading hands actually pull me aside one day and he said, look, he said, you don't need to know everything. That's what we're here for. You pay us for our experience. You just have to trust us and support us. So that was a, probably the, the biggest thing. It sort of yeah. takes its toll on you. But uh, yeah. after that conversation, I thought, yeah, he's right. Yeah, valuable lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were there any particular successes that you think you had in that role? Yeah, look, I think engagement with the people. Uh, it was a little bit of a um, disgruntled workforce. There uh, been some quite significant changes in, in that area of the business. And um, look, I was there for well, several months and I got to have a good rapport with everyone. Well, I sat down and had smoke with them and meals with them and had a chat with them. And, you know, during those times, we didn't talk shop. We talked about what we did on the weekend and you know, what their football team was and what was going on in their lives. And, and I think that personal approach just completely gelled that whole shift. And um, yeah, when I left that, they were actually quite a, a tight-knit team and, and really, really fun to work with. And do you think it was during this role that you decided this, this idea of leadership was for you? Yeah, look, I, I think I did, definitely. Look, it was hard at the start, um, but after I sort of settled down and, and you know worked out that I didn't need to know everything, I didn't have to be across every single detail and learned who, you know, how to trust people and, and stuff, I think from that... Uh, it was good. And then introducing some, I suppose, some continuous improvement thought processes. That was, I found that really rewarding. I've seen a couple of my, the guys have gone on to, to, to move to other jobs and, and you know, you keep in touch with them via Facebook and phones and all that sort of stuff. And there's some of them said, that, you know, we like the way you taught us to think. It's actually been really beneficial since we've left. So. And, and so was continuous improvement a, a real mindset that you tried to instill in your, your team? Yeah, it'll continuous improvement or more just to challenge the way things are done. With a, with a long-term company, uh, you'll find that people are comfortable in their processes and they know what to do. We've been doing this for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. We know what we're doing and that's it. They're comfortable. They get into the rhythm and, and that's it, just like the jungle drum, just boom, 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 and away they go. But it's not necessarily, I suppose, the best way of doing things or the most efficient way. So teaching your, your staff to, um, to question it. Okay, is this, can we be doing this a better way? Is there another way of doing this? That's the sort of area that, uh, that I really like to do, just challenge people's thinking. And what sort of impact do you think you had on the people that reported to you? I think, look, for most of them, I think we had a fairly positive impact. I know there was a couple there who did struggle with the fact that we'd changed the way they'd done things for 20 years and and there was a bit of conflict with that. And, you know, a couple of people actually, you know, tried to move to other areas and and stuff like that. But, look, that's the nature of change, isn't it, really? Some people can handle it and some people just, no matter what you do, just just it's not for them. And how long were you in that role? Oh, all up. It was about six, seven months. Okay. So quite a short stint in your first role. Yeah, it was, but it, it was a stepping stone. Yeah. So it's, I suppose, it's set the foundation, and then from there it sort of led on to, to, to bigger and better things. So okay. it's definitely worthwhile. So what, what, what did it lead on to in terms of you know, you've had your first taste of leadership? Yep. Where, where to next for you? Oh, look, I ended up, again, due to a, another, I suppose, a situation that, are, that arose, um, industrial dispute, I ended up down at Avalon running one of the hangars down there on the 747 fleet. So that sort of got my foot into the door of the, the next level of management and that then became a permanent role. And in the end, I was actually operations manager for heavy maintenance 
for Qantas Melbourne and uh, looked after their 737 fleet. So it obviously turned out to be the right move for you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Can you give a bit more context around the, the role, number of reports, any key oh, key parts of the role? Yeah, look, um, at, at Avalon there, at one stage I had 600 people uh, reporting to me across a couple of hangars, and that was just on one shift. You know, we had 1,200, 1,300 people there at its peak. Uh, so it was an incredibly big place. Melbourne, we ended up with, uh, there was 422 people spread between two shifts. And I sort of predominantly looked after one shift, so pretty much half of that. So that was, that was, uh, that was good. And that was for the for only the 737s, did you say? Yeah. That they sort of split at, at, at how the maintenance yeah. was done? Yeah, pretty much so. The, the 7.4s were done in Avalon, um, 7.3s in, in, in Melbourne. Uh, just facility restrictions. I mean, the size of the buildings could only fit certain size aeroplanes in. So. Do you think because you had a earlier taste of leadership that that role was a little easier for you? Oh, look, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I went into that one a lot more, I suppose, experienced. Uh, with a few battle scars, operated a little bit more, uh, I suppose, astute and smarter in, in a few areas. Um, still made mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes and you apply them to the next lesson and, and on you go. And were there any specific successes that stood out for you in that particular role? Uh, yeah, look, we had a, a couple of really good ones. One of the, I suppose, the areas that fell under my umbrella at Avalon was we had special projects. So any of the, the campaign um, modifications that had to be done to the aircraft. Uh, they sort of fell under my umbrella and we ended up setting up project plans and, and doing that. And we had some amazing success stories with uh, sort of short-term modification campaigns. And, and the good thing was is I took with the team with me and, and we worked to it and we all actually grew together. So, you know, we got the project management skills in place. We started managing these things with milestones and, you know, resource requirements and, Look, it was challenging because the, uh, the check coordinators uh, used to get quite upset when I restricted the number of people they could have and no, 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 we need to do it. That's what the workload says we can do. That's what we need to achieve. And at the end of it, they come back and say, oh, gee, we, you know, we're glad you, uh, you did that because we would have overrun our budget. And so everyone became a lot more commercially astute across the entire business. Uh, and then when I moved to Melbourne, uh, look, those guys in Melbourne were actually pretty well uh, switched on as it was. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, it was just basically a bit of fine tuning for those guys and dealing with, uh, I suppose, yeah, upper level requirements. I just want to explore something that you mentioned there about uh, people being commercially astute. I think that in a lot of the leaders who I have worked with, a lot of the organisational structures don't really allow them to explore that side of leadership, the financials, and, the, and as a result, their financial literacy, I don't think, is where it needs to be. Yeah. Would you think that's something that's that's a challenge in today's leadership, or is it? Oh yes, yes, definitely. And look, I was fortunate um, in that I suppose with the Qantas side of things it was one of the areas where they were developing people. So uh, yeah, we had uh, a lot of leadership mentor groups come through. So people like KM and T, amazing people. Those sort of people spent a lot of time with us, and in helping to improve the business, they took you on that journey. And then they, they pointed you in that direction to people who could coach and, and mentor you in, in that area and help it. And it made such a difference being able to understand what levers you could pull that would actually commercially affect the outcome of the business. As I've moved through other businesses, you, you just come in and you see there's just a complete lack of uh, knowledge in that, that area. You, know, you can see that with your, your maintenance budgets where they just sort of take last year's one and go, oh, well, that's what we spent last year, that's what we'll spend this year. 
well, okay, well, what makes that up? How do we do that? In a lot of places, it's the accountants control everything. No offence to accountants. They're really, really good with figures, but they're not really good in understanding how those figures apply to what has to be done. And do you feel as though there was any unfinished business that you had in that, that role? Yeah, there was. I had quite a few people that I was, I was developing and I never quite got to, to actually see them flourish while I was there. Having said that, I've actually watched a couple of them grow outside of that business and they've gone on in, outside the industry and, and made really good successes of themselves. So I suppose delayed satisfaction from, from watching them be su successful. So. Okay. And why did you decide to leave that role? A decision was made to, to close that facility down. Um, I was given the opportunity to move into state, and my oldest daughter was about to start year 12, and I wasn't prepared to create upheaval and uncertainty in the family and that important part of, of her life. And the youngest daughter was only two years behind her, so we thought, no, it's just not worth it. So we'll, we'll take the gamble and we'll move on to other things. Okay. So we've spoken about your first couple of leadership roles. I'd like to um, explore your current role a bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, have you done anything differently in this role compared to the other roles that you've had in the past? Yeah, look, I've probably gone in a lot softer on this role. I actually spent probably two, three months just absorbing and watching and just learning what's going on and, and where the pinch points were and what the problems were. Uh, probably took a little too much time maybe, but it, not knowing the business and politics around you know, family companies and how all that interacts. But it did give me a chance to formulate a bit of an action plan on, on what I needed to tackle, what the priorities were, where the real issues were, what was smokescreen. So can you give any further context about your role as GM uh, in terms of your responsibilities, any metrics that you have to meet, KPIs, things like that? So um, I've come into the business that uh, has, like most of the, I suppose, the transport industry, is predominantly run on, on gut feel and, and reaction. So my role is actually to bring some, I suppose, process and, and planning and, and order to that, that side of the business. So we're putting metrics in place at the moment. So part of that is going to be to overdue servicing, you know, or I have to you know, get to a certain point where we don't have servicing that's overdue. And then you know, uh, have a uh, like a, that includes a bit of a buffer zone which we haven't had before. So you know your service is due at you know x amount of kilometres, so it will be x plus or minus you know sort of whatever percentage we have. It gives you a bit of a safety margin in there. So we're working through that. I do have to set up a budget. We've got a, a fairly good accountant, um, so she's got a, a reasonably good budget in there. I just want to make sure that I'm comfortable that I can deliver to that budget and it it's actually I suppose sustainable. But from the first cut of having a look at it, she, she's done a pretty good job. And what, what are you learning about yourself as a leader in this, this role particularly? One of the things, I suppose, uh, yeah, this role's probably tested a little bit, is just controlling your, your emotions. Uh, it's quite easy if you get frustrated, things happen, you just go, why? So just controlling that inner, inner emotion because you don't want to come across as being overly emotional to your staff or to your peers, etc. So you just got to learn, okay, uh, here I am getting a little bit red. Hang on, I'll just keep that to myself, go away a bit later. Okay, so what caused me to do that? Okay, what can I do in future? 
And I'm always curious to talk to leaders about what they think they're good at and what they think they're not so good at. So let's start with some of the things you think you're okay at that you're good at. Oh, I think engaging with people. I think that's definitely one of my personal strengths. Coming from a mechanical background as a tradie, working my way up has given me that ability to, to match conversations at all levels and people actually understand that, oh, you actually been there, you know what it's about. And that gives you a bit of buy-in with, uh, with your, your staff, which is, which is really, really good. And the things you're maybe not so good at in the leadership space? Oh, I tend to take on a little bit too much. Saying no is, I suppose, a difficult problem that, that, that I know I, I've got and I know a lot of leaders do. Um, you just want to get out there and make things happen and do stuff. And Sometimes you actually got to stop and go, hang on, no, I'm, I'm at saturation point, I can't do any more. And then realising that you're at that point and then actually being astute enough and, and I suppose switched on enough to say, no, stop, I can't do any more, sorry, I can't deliver on that. Or if you want me to deliver on that, one of these other areas do you want me to push aside? It's about the, the balance, isn't yes, it, of definitely. accepting too much and still being able to deliver what you're supposed to deliver. Yep. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind now just exploring a few of your sort of more general views on leadership. What do you think the biggest myth is that you've heard about when it comes to leadership? Basically, the old story was when I was on the shop floor is you'd look at the, the managers, you'd hear all the comments, oh, that's an easy job, they just sit on their bum all day and don't do anything. <laughs> no, look, okay, it may not be as physically demanding as swinging underneath a truck or under a train or a plane or whatever else, but mentally it uh, it zaps you. You can go home some days and, like, I've, I've hit the pillow at sort of 6, 7 o'clock, that's it, you're gone, you're toast. So it is quite a demanding job from, a, from a, I suppose, a mental point of view. Very much so. Very much so. So how would you describe yourself as a leader? Are there any words which stand out to you in terms of how you describe yourself? Look, I like to be, I suppose, overutilised term, but you know, I like to be a little bit consultative. Um, if we're, we're doing stuff, I like to actually engage with people and, and talk to them, explain to them why we're doing stuff, give them a chance to ask questions or be part of it. Like I've done a lot of change management in, in the past. And you know, the, I suppose the, the four things that, that really stick in my mind, and if you can answer these questions, you, you, change management makes uh, is so much more uh, fluid and easier to apply. But most people want to know, you know, what is the change? Why are we changing? How are we going to change? And what's the effect on me? If you can answer those four questions up front before you talk to anyone about a change program, 90% of the issues will just get, just be gone. If you go in there with a change program without that information, you'll get toasted. And, and is it been your experience in, in various companies and roles that that's often what happens? Yeah, definitely. You see it all the time. I've been involved in a couple of, I suppose, lean Six Sigma rollouts um, across different divisions and different businesses, etc. Some have been really good. Um, others, yeah, not so good. And, and that's all been the pre-planning that's gone on and then having the answers to those questions. You know, in the early days it was, oh, we've got to implement Lane, just have to do it because everyone else is doing it. Okay, so how are we going to do this? I don't know, just make it happen. Okay, so we're going to make it happen. What is it you want to achieve? Oh, we just got to get better. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got all these big fluffy statements that actually have no substance and, and people just see through that and you just, you just get shot down. Mm-hmm. I think the listeners will... will see some real value in having those four key questions really much uh, 
no, at the starting point of a change program. I've, I've used that consistently and, and I, can, I know for a fact it does work from experience. If you can have all that information up front before you talk to them, it's yeah, you know, 90% of the way there. And are there any particular positive leadership traits which you think you demonstrate as you go about your role as a leader? Uh, I actually, I really do try to, I suppose, walk the, the talk. If you know, I set the standard that I want, so you know, if I see some rubbish on the ground, I'll go and pick it up. If I see a safety hazard, I'll go and get that fixed. If I see something that's not right, I'll go and get it done. Again, I still quite regularly sit down with, with the staff and I'll have smoker with them and I'll have coffees and everything else with them and, and, and stuff like that because that's where you actually find out what, what their, I suppose, pain points are. And what you've got to remember, as, as a leader, your job is to remove roadblocks. Uh, if you can remove roadblocks for the staff, they will do their job more efficiently, they'll be happier and things will run really, really well. If you try and isolate yourself and think you're above them or that's not my job, they'll see through you, you won't get the support. They'll still turn up, they'll do their job, but you just won't get the best out of them. Uh, I'm always interested to know about uh, leadership tools, frameworks, models, because you know, at Synergen we're always training organisations in, in things. I'm always yep. curious to know what ones people actually use in the workplace. Yep. So are there any that you use? Uh, yes, look, I quite regularly use the uh, Spinoa, which is your, your feedback model, okay. uh, before you're going to have a difficult conversation. Uh, okay, that's gone pear shape. How am I going to address this? Okay, you run it through your head. Okay, yep, so talk about the situation, the behaviour, the intent, etc., and go through and, and, and deliver that. So that's that's been really, really helpful. The Plan, Do, Check, Act is another one. So we've gone through them. We had an experience, we've gone through a process, has it worked, yes, no, okay, what can we do to improve it next time, okay, how are we going to embed those changes? They're probably the, the biggest ones. And have you been able to roll those out with your team so that they are familiar with them as well? I have in, in previous businesses. This business, I, I haven't actually done a formal rollout as such. This business, I'm actually doing it by stealth. Okay. So I'm, <laughs> they're going to know, know what's going on now. But, uh, it's actually just getting in that thought process. And that's purely because I've got different personalities. And again, as you move through between different businesses, you'll, you'll learn that you can't apply the same method and the same model in the same way to it because every situation is different. The people are different, they react different, the business is slightly different, the culture is slightly different. So you have to be able to, to take those models and, okay, what is it I want to do? What do I want to achieve out of this model? How do I want to get this message across? So then you, you look at it, okay, well, I know they react like this. This is the situation. So, okay, I'll attack it this way. So you, you come in from different things. So in this case here, I'm just questioning all the time, asking the questions. They're getting used to me now asking the questions. So when we have our, our weekly hookups, they say, yep, okay, here we go. And now they're starting to think like that. So now that that's happening, we'll start to, I'll, I'll un unpack and explain to them, okay, this is the thought process you've been doing. Here it is. This is the model. Uh, and then hopefully we can help that roll it out to the next level so they get supported from their stuff. And what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is right now? Too much work. Too much work? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, look, we, we're going really well at the moment. We've got a massive um, influx of, uh, of vehicles and, and work, to be honest. Uh, we're short-staffed. Trying to find good good people, good tradespeople is, is really, really difficult. It's quite a, a brutal market out there at the moment where you can advertise and someone else will find out what you're paying and they'll advertise over the top of you, uh, that sort of stuff. 
so there is quite a uh, severe shortage of skilled tradespeople out there at the moment. So, yeah, you know, busy period with lack of staff is uh, it's quite a, uh, a juggle at the moment. So, you know, the, the staff are working fairly good long, long hours. You could be mindful we don't burn them out. So we do have a, a long weekend coming up. So I've instructed them I don't want to work all weekend. There's a couple of them there that they like a little bit of extra hours, but I said to them, you know, short hour, that's it, but only for one day and the other day you have an off. And have you got a plan for how you're going to try to find these these people that you need? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, we've got some ads out at the moment, but we've actually got to the point where we thought, well, you know, if we can't find people, we're going to start making our own. So we've, we've just taken on a, a young apprentice and uh, he started uh, back in January. Fantastic uh, young fella. Uh, really keen, and as I was sort of joking around earlier, you know, there are some, some diamonds out there in the younger generation, you just got to be out there to find them and, and train them up. So he, he will be really good uh, by the time we've uh, finished training him up. Hopefully, we can keep on to him, but you know, if we provide the right environment, he's happy. Okay. I'm sure we will. And you're still looking for more? Still looking for more. So we can, we can put a shout out to uh, all the listeners that if any of you know someone that wants to enter the, the, the trade of yep. being a mechanic. Yeah, diesel mechanic. Diesel mechanic. mechanic. Yep. You know, shoot us through an email or contact Mark directly and have the conversation. Yep. So how do you measure your success as a leader? You know, I've actually never, never thought about that, to be honest. I sort of look at what I achieve. But that's not really me as a leader, that's me as the manager achieving the targets. So how would I measure myself as a leader? Well, I would like to, to think that uh, if I've, I've got good uh, engagement with staff and they trust me, uh, I think that's, that's probably a, a good one. They feel supported. We used to do employee satisfaction surveys at Qantas, but to be totally honest, that was probably fairly early on in my, my leadership career, so I didn't really understand it that great deal but I think from that is probably a, a good way of actually measuring how you're perceived and uh, how they they feel you know if, if they feel supported feel like they've got some leadership and some direction I think that's probably how I would measure myself. How do you look to build capability in your leaders and employees? Experiences so something happens yeah and generally look if we have an incident and as much as you know, we don't want incidences, but they are a learning opportunity. So if something happens and goes wrong, you know, it can be small or, or a little bit bigger, thankfully or prayfully, not anything too big. Um, you, you take that and, as a lesson and, and dissect it, look at it. Okay, so what's happened? What's the failings? What, what can we do? From that, you, you know, you'll, you'll find shortfalls in, in training, understanding, equipment. And then you go, right, yeah, well, I need to prioritise it. Okay, what do I need to do and do that? So we've um, had a lot of success in the past in leadership training. So when I was with Coots, when I came into the business there, it was quite a, uh, a turmoil time after the, the incident. But I realised pretty quickly we had some good staff. But, again, dissecting all what, what had happened and where the business had found itself, a lot of these people were, were fantastic mechanics. And they were thrown into the leadership roles as, as workshop managers because they were great mechanics. But they didn't have the skills. So they were put into an environment where they were set up to fail. So, you know, we, we identified that reasonably quickly. And, and as, as you're aware, we ended up putting in a uh, leadership program, put those guys up to speed, gave them the tooling 
to do it all. And it was amazing to watch those guys, I suppose their self-confidence uh, grow over the sort of six to 12 month period. But more importantly, they actually became more professional. The business improved as a result. Their staff improved as a result. Uh, so yeah, that's probably a, the best example of, um, I've had. You know, I've had a, a real success. And I'm always also interested in the leader's view of networking. It's something which uh, a lot of leaders, I think, don't necessarily put the focus on. So how, well, what are your views on networking? Oh, look, it's, it's invaluable. Now, I'm a dead-set introvert. I am really, when it comes to uh, you know, public situations and stuff like that, I've had to learn to get over that and uh, sort of put myself out there a little bit. I'm still very uncomfortable doing it. But I must admit, coming into this role, because I'd already been in the industry with a previous role, I'd actually made some contacts and networks. And so I've come into this role and just confident that oh, I'm here now, you know, just let you know. And from that, you know, you've been able to call on people. Okay, we've had a problem. Oh, I know who's got that, who's got the part for that. Or, you know, we've got an issue with the supplier. Get on there and talk to the people you know. That networking professionally is fantastic. You know, LinkedIn, look, it's... It's sort of becoming a bit of a Facebook page uh, to some degree. Uh, I know they're trying to sort of jump on that a little bit, but there is some, some good opportunities in there. I've networked on LinkedIn and I've actually gone to events where I've actually met up with the people I've networked and, you know, we've made some really good, I suppose, professional relationships out of it. So, yeah, look, it, it's definitely important. And if you're an introvert like me, you're just going to have to push yourself through it. <laughs> the other thing I'd like to ask you about, before we move on to the, the, where the what the future holds is this idea of mentoring. Yeah, it's uh, something which I'm a big believer in. So, what, what are your views on mentoring? Oh, look, definitely. I wouldn't say it's critical, but it, it, it does give gives gives an advantage. The fact that you're dealing with someone who has been through the, the battles and, and you know knows the pitfalls and, and you know, knows what success looks like or more importantly, can actually stop you from doing something really, really dumb, uh, is, is just, yeah, it's, it's, the value is beyond dollars. And it works at all levels. I did actually have some, some younger people when I was with, with Qantas. We had some, some young people come through just out of their trade, etc. We actually paired them up with a very experienced engineer as their mentor. And they guided them for six months out of their time. And that was their whole job. And it was a little bit of coaching, but more mentoring. It's challenging them, okay, well, you, you've done that. Where will you go to find information? How would you do that? And then you take it up to the next level, and then you get someone, you know, teaching teaching the scene to change people uh, or, you know, to challenge and to do stuff. And then it goes up to the, to the manager. So it, it's applicable to all levels. Um, and I suppose that the grey area is confused. Uh, it gets confused is um, coaching and mentoring. You know, they are two different skills, but they do overlap. But I think the, the mentoring side of it is probably the, the more beneficial because it actually teaches you to think as opposed to giving you the answers. So moving on to the future, what, what, what does the future hold for you? I've, uh, I've had a kind of, I suppose, a, a bit of turmoil in the last few years. I've had to change a few jobs for a variety of reasons. So I'd like to, to sort of settle down and I'm sort of hoping to stay where I am for quite a while, consolidate, and then go for the next. That's sort of, sort of short to medium term. Medium to long term, look, my, my goal is to sort of at some stage in the next sort of five to seven years is, I'm going to say semi-retire, but I suppose I want to maybe work for myself a little bit. What I've discovered is I've, over my, my, uh, my tenure, I've actually uh, gained an awful lot of experience and information and 
yeah, that's really great. It's good for me, but it's it's useless to anyone else. So I'd like to share that information because if if information is not shared, then yeah, it's it's not information really. It's just something that's stuck away anyway, like a book. You know, if no one opens up and has a look, then it, it really has no context. But yeah, you know, I, I get a real kick out of passing on what I've learned to other people, watching them take that and and, and grow. So that's sort of longer term where I'd like to head. And how do you continue your development as a leader? Is it just through experience or do you undertake any sort of formal learnings of any type? Oh, look, I'll take the opportunity for formal learnings when I can. Uh, look, I suppose the, the more recent stuff has been more role-related technically. Uh, so I've actually, I'm a member of the Asset Management Council, so I've actually got a course coming up on um, the fundamentals of asset management where you know, I get to see what's the contemporary practices are and see if I can apply those to our industry. I actually have just bitten the bullet and gone back to uni from a professional point of view doing a sort of a Masters of Engineering Management and that's more for me to get the engineering experience and, and technical side of it because I've come up as a trade base rather than a, through the, the education system. A lot of those fundamentals I'm sort of missing so I'm just trying to fill in some gaps from a technical point of view. But when I do go to seminars and, and stuff like that, I do look for, look for the opportunities for, for leadership. Uh, do a lot of reading. Just finished reading a, a book that the whole leadership team was given, and that was the five dysfunctions of a team. So, from a, I suppose a leadership development, that that's been really really good to, to go to do. I'm actually working through that at the moment. So we've got a bit of a report. We've done a survey on it, and you know, working with our peers and, and, and developing all that. So. So you mentioned that uh, that was given to the entire leadership group. Is yep. there is there something behind that? Is there a philosophy that the executive have? Look, our, our CEO is he's, um, he's ex-military, so the military is really big on teamwork and you know, cohesion and, and following process. And I think it's one of the things that he had as part of his development, uh, and he's he's introduced it. And look, it's it's actually quite good. It's it makes you, I suppose, question how you see people and how you fit in within a team and you know he talks about um healthy conflict because you know how many leadership teams do you sit in and everyone just nods their head because everyone just wants to get out of there or they're too scared to say anything and so you don't really get the best decision and i think our ceo's recognized there's been a little bit of that and so that's his plan to sort of break that and, and introduce a bit of you know healthy conflict and you know you question it don't just go along you know if someone makes it a, a statement or a decision, I think we should do this. Well, why? No, I think we should do that. Nut it out because you know a little bit of uh, I suppose conflict uh, actually ends up with a better result. But, and how many in that that senior team? It's five. Okay, that's a good, it's a good, good sized team to it be is, talking is. through and nutting things out. Yep. Uh, so, what challenges do you think your industry sector is going to face? Oh, look, I think. Technology, it's just coming in at, at a rapid pace now. Road transport sort of toyed with all the technology for a lot of years. It didn't really embrace it, but now the stuff that's coming in is just, and the speed is just incredible. Uh, you know, we've just been fitting um, fatigue monitors to all the, the, the trucks, and so these look at the driver and look at their eyes, and they determine if you're sleeping or if you're not looking at the road, and they will send out an alert, they'll vibrate the seat, they'll set off a buzzer to keep the driver awake and alert, and, and they let their manager know that, hey, this has gone on. You know, the, the GPS tracking now, you know, it's just, it's just coming in more and more. 
truck. Like we've just just bought some new trucks in now, you know, European trucks. You know, we've had to get computers uh, uh, with new software for these ones. Now we've had software and we sort of tinkered around the edges before, but these ones here, every service now, you've got to plug these things in and you've got to do that. But I suppose the benefit of all this new technology is hopefully it'll actually make it more attractive to some younger people to want to actually come into this industry now because there is that technology. So they can get in, they can play with their computers, they can do the, you know, the high-tech stuff, uh, which has been missing for quite a while, which I think is part of the reason we've, uh, we've struggled to maintain a, a decent number of um, tradespeople in the industry. Are there any leaders that you either look up to or who inspire you? Yeah, look, there is. Look, you've got the, I suppose, the, all, all the big names you look at, and Richard Branson. You know, look, now he, he is an incredible leader. He's a visionary, and he, he does some amazing stuff. Some of the stuff's not applicable to every business, but from a uh, from a high level engagement, that's that's really good. I like to look a little bit closer at home as well. And look, I had a couple of managers I worked for, and, and they were really good. I felt comfortable working for them. And you know, they've gone on to other other businesses, but I still talk to them regularly. You have a, a phone call with them every every couple of weeks and, and catch up with them and you know, have a coffee. But I found you know, that they did really well. They engaged people. Everyone who worked for them and with them had immense respect. And I sort of, I used those, those people as, I suppose, role models and as, yeah, sort of pseudo-mentors. And where can people find out more about you and uh, Wetnos? Well, from a company point of view, we've got our uh, we've got a website, so www.wettenhalls.com.au, and you'll see a, a fairly good website. It's all being refreshed at the moment, so it's uh, it's actually looking pretty good. There's a little bit of a blurb on the leadership team in there, and you'll see an article on, on, on me and my history. Uh, for me personally, I've got a LinkedIn profile. Happy to, to hook up with people and, and have a chat. Um, so yeah, it's there. You'll see my my history that's that's on there, but I suppose these days with social media, and so you've got to be careful what you do put, but <laughs> <laughs> I've got a reasonable snapshot. People will get an understanding of, of where I've come from. So. Okay. And any last words on leadership? Yeah, look, it's one of those things you're not going to know if you've got the ability to do it until you try it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for being part of the podcast. Really appreciate it. All the best. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. Uh, see you next time.